Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Buenos dias, listeners, and welcome to the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and alongside me are Dos Hombres, ready to talk about Robert Rodriguez's 1995 action thriller, Desperado, Mi Mejor Amigo, Aaron. Hola! And new member of the Feeling Film team, Kales Davis. Hello, hello. No, see, you gotta do it in Spanish. You're, you gotta start over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Glad to have you back, Kales. <laughs> well, this episode is actually recording on Cinco de Mayo, and we figured Desperado was a nice fit. Why don't we just go ahead and get right to it? This is your official spoiler warning. This is a movie that came out in 1995, so we shouldn't have to give you a spoiler alert. But There are people you know in our there Facebook group. I-, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe there are people that haven't seen this movie. It is entirely possible. So if you haven't seen the movie... Do yourself a favor, watch it, come back, enjoy the conversation, but just know that we're going to spoil the heck out of this. So, without further ado, let's get into our one-word takeaways. Aaron, kick us off, sir. Yeah, my one-word takeaway, guys, is style. And I'm quite sure that you both could have picked this word as well. Uh, We all feel the way that I'm about to express, listeners, so... These guys are probably going to bring you some diversity with their one-word takeaways, but just know that we all agree with me. Look, whether it is the dance-like fight choreography in this movie, whether it's villains that are lighting matches off of their lackeys' faces, shooting down a ceiling fan to kill someone, jumping off a building backward and shooting them up while falling, or, you know, little things like machine gun and rocket-filled guitar cases, this film oozes style in that very memorable way. It is fast, it is fun, it is hilarious, it is surprisingly poignant, it is ultra-violent, and it is also sexy as hell. So I love this over-the-top nature of everything that is happening in this movie. Um, it's well-balanced, I think, against the film's character moments, and it really does pay off in the most excitingly enjoyable action way, in one of the, the most stylistic best action movies at least of the 90s if not ever yeah i i would agree i think style is definitely probably the parental word that we would all wrap ourselves around but i want to go a little bit more specific and get more emotional with mine i'm going to just say bonkers that is exactly what i felt leaving this viewing i didn't remember it being that crazy but it's been years and years and years since i've seen this one But it shouldn't surprise me. I mean, Robert Rodriguez, I think if he's not throwing crazy stuff at you on the screen or giving you some interesting one-liners from his buddy QT, um, he's probably doing something wrong. But it seemed like there was very little time for me to take a breath and to fully evaluate what I'm watching on screen. It just seemed like I'm watching a comic book play out. And I'm not sure if, in fact, I know this was not source material from a comic book. It probably should at some point go that way because I feel like in the vein of something like Kick-Ass, the opposite effect could happen where you have this overly stylized type thing on the big screen 
that translates to more of these adventures of El Mariachi. I would probably read that because I think it would be pretty fantastic. But yeah, bonkers is the only word that I could think of outside of just the style that would really evoke the kind of emotion that I have coming into this. Well, for me, my word, yes, I want to use style, but the two hombres in front of me, they took that word from me. So I had to come up with a different term, and mine's was gung fu. And y'all should know the words kung fu, but mine's is gung fu because these guys are using instruments of death. They're using pistols, they're using grenades, they're using like guitar rockets, they're using like most of the time these guys are fighting, like nobody's punching each other. Everybody is just boom, 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 just shooting each other down and there's something very hypnotic about the action sequences in this film. Like whether it's guys like being blasted away with bullets, the way they fly through the air in slow motion, the way that Rodriguez uses his fast zooms to show bullets traveling into someone's like body or head, the way that guys are jumping off of buildings. Like it's just the way that this action in this film is just epic in each word. Like each action sequence builds on one another and is trying to top everyone like there's momentum the momentum keeps growing and growing and growing until the end where of course we get that blue balls inducing where we get a a fade away we don't get to see the final shootout but yes it's a it's a crazy great fun film i've loved it ever since i was a child and i love watching it like i can never get tired of watching this film i think that this trilogy should go down as being called the gun food trilogy i mean i'm just going to go ahead and say this Robert Rodriguez, if you're listening, when you release these on 4K at some point, go ahead and just give the team here some credit and say the official Gun Fu trilogy from Robert Rodriguez. And I say it now, and when it comes out, you know, you can thank us. So, there it is. My boy. I forgot his name for a second. Hold on. My boy Christian Bale might have a problem with that. Sorry. I almost said Christopher Nolan, and I'm like, wait a second, Christopher Nolan didn't make Equilibrium. No, Christian Bale. Christian Bale made Equilibrium without Christopher Nolan. But that is my gun foo, buddy. Okay, well, maybe we should make our own. Maybe The Matrix would be the triplicate of the gun foo trilogy with. Matrix is. Uh, eh, it's weak sauce. The first also, one, but not the two sequels. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Actually, if we're going to cherry pick movies, then let's just do. Yeah, let's just do Desperado, Equilibrium. And Matrix, the Gun Food Trilogy. Let's do one, but let's also add Wanted into there. Let's do Wanted okay. as well. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Wanted is a great example. So I got to ask real quick before we get started. Did you guys watch the other two movies in this trilogy? I've seen both of them. I've seen El Mariachi and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. El Mariachi, like, looking at it now, it's dated so bad just because of the way that Robert Rodriguez was just using just every part of a shoestring budget to try to achieve the action movie look. It comes off very, very slow and very molasses-like in the way people move, but it's a good film. Desperado, of course, is the best one out of all of them to me. And Once Upon a Time in Mexico, I'll have to watch it again, but it was weird to me when I watched it. I considered it disappointing when I first watched it. I watched these out of order. I watched Desperado first, then Once Upon a Time, and then I went back and watched El Mariachi. And I agree, Kales. I think El Mariachi harkens back to the B-movies, especially the stuff that he did with with QT, with Death Proof, and Planet Terror. I think they fall in line with more of those, only not as intentionally stylized in that way. I think it was just kind of a product of the time. Also an $8,000 budget. So you don't have a lot going on with El Mariachi, rightly so. So kudos to a guy for at least giving us an introduction to a character 
like El Mariachi, played by the fascinating Antonio Banderas. Is my girl in either of the sequels, though? Selma is in Once Upon a Time Mexico, but only, like, not for a long time. But she's not in El Mariachi. It's a different girl in El Mariachi. Ah, yeah, yeah. Forget him. <laughs> this could have been also, the new Bond. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm going to tell y'all, like, y'all should go and read up on the backstory of how Robert Rodriguez got the money for El Mariachi. Like, he did so much. Like, he was a guinea pig for, like, lab experiments. He, like, did a what? lot to raise the money for that film. Holy cow. That he, sounds... he didn't... He didn't own a bookstore and have somebody give him money to smuggle drugs. Nah, man, nobody didn't come and give him a briefcase. Ah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, man. All right, well, now that we've digressed, hopefully the, the three listeners that are still here will enjoy this. So Desperado, it comes out in 1995, and it seems to, when we respond to this, it evokes the sense of, hey, what happened to these kinds of movies? Because... I know for one, I have not seen something like this since maybe Kick-Ass, but I guess the excuse behind that is, well, that's what the comic book is. So this feels very refreshing to an extent in, in a weird way because this is an original property. This isn't something based off of something else apart from El Mariachi, which is you know part of the Rodriguez trilogy here. And so I, I wondered, is this missing from today's movies? And if so, why don't we see more of these? Um, I don't think it's missing at all. I would cite the examples of Equilibrium, Wanted, Shoot 'em Up, and John Wick, most especially. But John Wick doesn't feel like as cartoonish as Desperado may be as far as the style. Like John Wick, people, people are walking around in tuxedos. There's a continental hotel. There's a structure to everything in John Wick. Desperado feels kind of, um, kind of winging it, not really winging it, but just run of the mill, kind of your standard just action movie flick, not B. Not B level, there's def because there's definitely Antonio Banderas, some a hike in the cast, but it's not as it's not really wanting to fit into a mainstream. It kind of has its own like little style that it operates in, but people can take from that style and just kind of come up with their own creations. So with the other films like with Wanted and John Wick and Shoot 'Em Up, they just took that gung fu style as we call it, and they just kind of made their own like little universe with it. So there are films that are like this but yeah they're not really prominent yeah i love that these action movies like this have so much personality they just we go back to the style comment honestly you know and it's given to us in the comedy and in the jokes and it's in the charisma of the actors and it's in this world that's created much like where john wick lives that in my opinion, there's a realism to it, but it's also fantasy. So I'll cite this. We have gun cases or guitar cases with rockets that are being fired out of them, but yet they pay enough attention to ensure that the characters reload before they shoot them again. And they actually have clips in their guns. They run out of bullets, things like that. So there's like this almost faux sense of realism about these movies within the fantasy that they're presenting that makes it more exciting to me personally. Whereas in other films that are just action-y, you may just see endless charade of bullets uh, going off the screen, and there's all of these situations occurring that you're like, man, that can never happen, but it looks cool. Desperado is just close enough to being like, you know what, that, that does look cool, but that could actually happen. 
to me. And I think that's part of why I really like this. As for, like, why these aren't made as much, I honestly don't know. I think John Wick is creating a renaissance in the type of film. But there is a very fine line between being pandering to that action audience and losing anyone who cares about story and keeping those people who actually need a story along with their action engaged. Desperado does a phenomenal job of towing that line because it gives us emotional character moments throughout. It lets us connect and care about our characters. They're not there just to be agents of death. When the movie doesn't give you that, it's a lot easier to kind of just watch it and go, that looks cool and move on. Yeah, when I look at Desperado, I think that something that Rodriguez and company do is they they create rules and they stick to them to an extent. And I think anytime you create a story, we talked about this a little bit on Endgame with the rules that the creators were setting up. And depending on the complexity of those rules, you're bound to them at some point as an audience. And so when those rules get broken, you tend to feel a little cheated as an audience. And what you mentioned, Aaron, about the fact that, yes, there are rocket launchers coming out from guitar cases, yet there's a finite number of bullets. We don't get the G.I. Joe effect where bullets are endless and nobody gets hit and the good guys never get hit and the bad guys always do. We get a sense of casualty. To an extent, there's a sense of gratuitousness, but that comes from the style that Rodriguez brings us anyway. And it should be at this point, if you're watching this for the first time, knowing the history of Robert Rodriguez, you kind of come to expect that. That's kind of his thing or at least it's one of his types of uh, MOs. But like you mentioned, there is a level of substance, and I would argue it's not a ton, which it doesn't need to be necessarily, but there is a level of substance that keeps an audience engaged beyond just the spectacle of it. I think it's why Desperado was successful, not only with the star power of Antonio Banderas and Sama Hayek, but also with El Mariachi making its presence known a, a couple of years prior that there's an audience built in. And now with the bigger budget, he can go bigger with some of that spectacle because there's an investment in that character. The other part of that though, is having seen Desperado before the other ones, I had enough invested in El Mariachi as a character, Banderas's character because of what he did in Desperado. So I think Rodriguez does toe that line pretty pretty well there are times when i think it drifts a little bit and it kind of falls into the line of let's get more spectacle than story but for the most part i think it has a good balance well from the very first scene desperado seems to be all about creating a legend and as steve buscemi is so poignantly telling the story of el mariachi to the bartender cheech and his friends he immediately becomes sort of a mythological character to the people on screen and us as an audience. Guys, how successful is this movie in creating that kind of legend? I think it was very successful in creating um, this urban legend of Eri Mariachi. You know, from the opening scene, the way Steve is telling the story and all the guys are entranced into it because 
they feel a sense of dread because this guy is telling the story from the perspective that, hey, this guy is going around to all the bars and, you know, and he's going around and wondering where this guy, this Bucho guy is. And he's going to tear his way through every bar he comes across. So you guys need to be ready and be prepared. So as the audience, you kind of get a sense like, oh, wow, like this guy, he has a mission. He's not stopping for anybody. He's willing to go through. He's willing to go through anybody and anything to accomplish it. So as far as the urban legend is concerned, it's very well done, especially in the way it's filmed. You know, when we see Antonio Banderas first on the screen, his face is covered in shadow. You don't see his face. He's kind of like walking very slowly, very gingerly. Kind of reminds me of like those old folk tales of like big giants and like these heroes that just have a presence. You know, like, you know, they're coming, but it's built up in a way to where it's like, this like godlike presence when they get into your when they come into your aura and then you know we see the shootout we see el mariachi doing his thing and whatsoever and then we hear at the end of the story the guy's like hey like this drink is on the house but you need to if you can remember his face and remember what he looks like then i'll give it to you the guy's like nope no thanks and his job is already done he set the stage he set the tone for the whole film letting you know that this guy is supreme all-around uberman who's willing to destroy anything in his path to achieve his um, thirst for vengeance. Yeah, I, I think that it does a great job of it. And the opening scene is obviously the main reason and way that it starts off this legend and this mythological figure right from the beginning. Like, we don't have to learn about him first and then get his story later. It's before we ever even see him as a character. We're hearing this story told about him. And what I love about that scene is how, as an audience, we're learning at the same time as the characters on the screen. And so we feel very connected to them. We feel like Cheech, this bartender. And when he makes this joke and he's like, hey, the bartender never gets killed. This is great. And you hear Steve Buscemi respond, no, man, the bartender got it worse than anybody. I'm immediately put on edge because of this legend. Like, I'm wondering, when is this going to actually come true now? When is this mythological figure going to walk through the door? And it's just a wonderful, wonderful setup and opening for him, I think. And then learning about what people think of El Mariachi throughout the film also helps set some of that tone for us. And a little bit, it, it like enhances the legend, right? Listening to Bucho and his men stand around or when they're talking about this guy and, you know, how dangerous he may or may not be. When you hear people mention him in passing, um, all of those things, I think, lend itself to kind of making the world feel more whole, like it's lived in and like he is a an actual entity in this world that people know about. And so we're getting this very personal look at him and getting to learn about him from a very different side. So we're hearing stories about how he's just this brutal, you know, killer and he does all of these amazing things. but then. When we walk through the story in his POV, we're learning about his reasoning behind that and his emotional state when he's killing or, or making these, you know, attacks on Bujo's men. And so it's really just like constantly growing that legend for the town while we're learning maybe there's so much more to the man than just what the legend says. And, and I just I love how it's crafted and put together in this one. Well, in Bushimi, what he does really well is he's a great hype man. And I, I think that 
that opening scene really sells the fact that that's what he does. He goes into these bars and he tells a story. What we find out, at least from my viewing, is that none of that, that didn't happen exactly the way he describes it. And that tells me uh, that both he and his relationship with Mariachi is one of kind of a give and take. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a marriage. Like you have this husband and wife who are trying to, to make this thing work. And well, even Mariachi says, you know, you're like a big brother to me because he's trying to protect them. But you can tell they have history. You can tell just these little nuggets of conversation that they have history. And you kind of get the sense that that's what Bashimi's job is. It's to go into these bars. It's to let these people know that this guy's coming. And here's a story to kind of be consistently how he comes in. But what we find out is not that Mariachi's kind of a goof or that he's he's an idiot, but he's flawed because none of that went down. And you get this sense, like you said, Aaron, of the backstory. You get a sense of the real man behind the shadow. But it also says a lot about the power of words and being able to craft that message, craft that narrative in order to get us as an audience to believe. Because up to that point, we hadn't seen him in action. And so we're kind of questioning, is this guy for real? Is he always living in the shadows? Is this all we're going to get? And then we get the scene with him and Bushimi, and then we get the big bar fight, explosion, battle, whatever you want to call it. And that's proof to us that he's the real deal. Maybe not quite legendary, but he's kind of building his own legend within that narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it also sets the people that he's coming after in a mindset of heightened fear. And therefore, they're a lot less likely to be effective against him because they're expecting this legendary killer. And so when you're going up against someone like that, you're in a little different headspace. You're a little more nervous. Um, You're a little more worried about you know you may not be as safe as you think you are and i I gotta believe that creating that sense of fear in them is something that really helps him when he eventually shows up because they do see him regardless of how good he is or what he does they see him as probably even worse or scarier you know later on towards the middle of the film you see bujo he's um getting this car detail he's getting his car fixed up He's you see him berating his man, telling him like, hey, we need to we need to find this guy before he makes the things worse with our deal with the Colombians. Like he's putting he's he's pretty much in the head of everybody before he even shows up. Like everybody knows about him, but they're they're thrown off kilter because they're expecting to see this. But it's like if someone's already in your head, you're already like kind of not focused on what you need to do in order to protect yourself against them. So he's already won the battle of wits when it comes to the head. When it comes to the physical part, as far as him actually engaging in these gunfights, then that's where we see what Busimi was talking about with his stories. Well, at the heart of the movie is not just building this legend, but this legend having a motive. And Rodriguez could have gone a number of different ways. We could have had a mercenary in the form of, of El Mariachi. We could have had other options, but... This is a movie that starts by giving us a direct line into Banderas's motivation, which is revenge. And revenge is always a nice little way to go when you when you tell a story, especially when it involves a lot of guns, right? And 
So, you know, El Mariachi seeking the payback for his wife's murder, uh, killing everyone that gets in his way, all the way up to the top. So what about this kind of story appeals to us as an audience? And why do we like it more in some films and really not so much in others? What I think for me is that revenge is one of the more popular styles of story that is in um, Hollywood these days. You'll see a lot of people cite their favorite films as being tales of revenge or redemption. I think it speaks to us as far as inner human nature when we want to see a person we feel has been done wrong to see them get their just due. You know, we hate to see people who are done wrong and they just get left there in the dust and having to deal with all of the ramifications of that and just letting the bad guy go and he gets the spoils, as we would say, and he doesn't get any, he doesn't get, there's no retribution that comes back on him of the bad things he's done. So it's nice to see when a person loses something and then we see that person go and we think that it's justice that they're killing this person, but in actually all reality, revenge is kind of just like, a one-sided deal you know is it really revenge when we kill someone but yet our loved ones don't come back we don't we don't get that same feeling that we thought that we would get with someone being dead it's like we're continuing a cycle of violence where we're not really seeking that emotional that emotional gratitude that will heal us you know towards the end you know um i think there was a question that someone had asked el mariachi no, it was Steve Buscemi. It was towards the beginning. He's like, so once you kill this guy, will it be over? And El Mariachi is like, well, I hope so. You know, he doesn't even know if he really will be fulfilled. You know, it's kind of like a, it could be a repeating cycle or it could just be, hey, well, I guess I'm done. But revenge, yeah, I think revenge speaks to a lot of people as far as redemption and so-called justice. Yeah, I, I would wholly agree that it is based on a sense of justice maybe misplaced in a vigilante way uh, in a lot of ways, but it, it's all about trying to find peace and healing that you can't seem to find. You are struggling with this loss. You're equating it to someone's fault. What well, I mean, obviously in this case, it's directly someone's fault. Um, and you're probably feeling a lot of guilt about being involved in the first place in that situation. And so there's this level of healing that has to take place and mourning and grief. And it's like a jolt of energy. It's like a jolt that keeps you going and keeps you, I think, in a lot of ways from having to deal with the reality before you of the situation that this person is gone because you're getting that high of getting revenge. There's a, there's a feeling that comes with that that actually like, enhances your mood and your your physiological response and so i think he's getting that and it's helping him kind of avoid the fact that even when he's finished she's not coming back and there's gonna be a point where he has to have a reckoning and he has to overcome that and what is great about this film as opposed to some revenge films is that i believe from the start he is a man who is open and sensitive enough to being shown that there could be a better way. In a lot of revenge flicks, it's really just portrayed to us in a way with the lens that the, the movie's all about the revenge. 
I feel like in Desperado, once you've watched it, you can look back and go, you know what? The movie's all about him realizing that revenge is not going to be the answer in the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know that I completely agree with that. I think it's probably that and something else more along the lines of not just revenge, but more about him finding that desire, that motivation that lives in Selma Hayek and Caroline's character. And rightly so. I mean, she's a fantastic, not foiled him, but she's a fantastic complimentary character to him in terms of what she brings to the table, in terms of her staggering beauty, her incredible sense of, of power and strength. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, if that's healthy or not, I think it makes for a good narrative because it brings his character, not full circle, but it brings it to completion to an extent because he now has somebody else that he can pour his life into. And I mean, even Bucho said near the end, he said, you love this girl now, so let me just go ahead and and kill her and then we'll be even that kind of, or something like that. But I think that that's a lot of what happened. I don't know that if she weren't part of the picture, if she weren't in the picture, I don't know that he would ever find resolution to this revenge journey that he's on. I don't know that he would ever change because of that. I think he found something more important that allowed him to change. So in that, in that way, I agree with you. Yeah, I would agree with what you're saying. What I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like from the very start, his character is not so weighted down with the revenge that nothing else matters to him because the first moment he meets Carolina is him saving the stranger's life, essentially, because he's being shot at and he gets her out of the way and takes the hit knowing it's coming. He's very sensitive to the young boy at the very first time we meet him. He's teaching him how to play a guitar. I feel like some characters, when they're on a revenge journey, it is full speed ahead. Revenge is the only thing on their mind. And I see in El Mariachi the ability to be in the quiet moments and interact with people around him that are not part of that journey in a way that is softer and gentler and gave me hope that he's not going to fully be consumed by this attempt at killing all of these people for revenge. Yeah, for me, um, the opening credit scene is very telling into his character because you see him just really having a joyous and very fun time just performing music. And you can see that before he had to divulge into this vengeance journey, he was in love with he was in love with music. He was a musician. You know, he was able to speak to a lot of people through a through a good, healthy medium. You know, instead of just going around to bars and just trying to find this guy who killed his girl. So you can see that he definitely has a heart. He's definitely not just tunnel vision, just cold hearted, just all about death. He does have these moments of um, genuine concern, genuine compassion for people. It's just that this mission for his vengeance is the thing that's taken over his mind so far. And then like speaks to what Pat Patrick said, when Carolina comes in the picture, he sees a chance to finally have like somewhat of a peaceful life, like a life to where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, like violence at every door. Like he can finally he can finally build something with this woman. He can have a house. He can have some kids. He can have that. He can have a picket fence. He can he can probably find some way to work his way back into the music industry again in some way. Yeah. What I think Rodriguez does pretty well is he shows us gaps in El Mariachi's world. He shows us that he has a past without necessarily giving us a huge amount of exposition. We're just shown through a sense of visuals. And I think that it allows us 
to believe that he's not completely one way or the other. And I think those gaps give him room and give us room as an audience to say, maybe there's something redeeming about him as a human being. And then you get those pockets, those moments where he's talking to that little boy. I loved, loved that conversation. And the fact that the relationship that he has with Bushimi has some very human moments that are incredibly sincere that bring about a sense of real humanity for him. And I, I don't know that you get a lot of that with pure revenge stories because the object for the audience is the revenge conclusion. Whereas by the end of Desperado, it wasn't about vengeance. It was about living a fuller life with, with Coraline. Absolutely. And, you know, even to the extent of, there's a couple things. One, I love the line he says, after not killing Bucho, even though he had him dead to rights, he says, it's strange how pulling a trigger is easier than playing the guitar, easier to destroy than to create. Like, that is not a line, that is such, that is a deep line of dialogue that you do not expect to see in a Robert Rodriguez script. And it is Robert Rodriguez's script, because I'll tell you, when Steve Buscemi starts off in the bar, like, telling the story... I immediately went to IMDb and I was like, I'd forgotten Quentin Tarantino wrote this because it sounded so much like a Tarantino movie. I'd forgot. I mean, that's the kind of line that you get in one of his films. Something you get all of these F-bombs and, and completely vulgar conversations. But then you'll get like this one thing that is so poignant and so thoughtful. And it makes you really consider, man, why is it easier to kill than to create, to destroy? Um, and then what I love about this is a revenge story too, is like the willingness of people to come to his aid almost in a sense that they know they're going to die. Because when he asks his friends to come, he has that conversation with Carolina and it's, it seems to me that it's pretty well understood that they know if they come, that they would be willing to die for him and to go through with this. And they do so, right? And that, adds an element to this revenge story that a lot of films don't have, you know, because they're usually one person against the world trying to right these wrongs against that one person. But when other people care enough about the wrongs that were made against you to die for your cause, I think that gives it, I don't know, a little more depth. And again, it just lets me be more empathetic for his character as the guy raining down this hell. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to just, these little gaps that get filled in as the movie goes on, like, oh, I didn't know he had this relationship with, with these two individuals. And you sort of start making up a story in your own head of like, oh, what kind of adventures did they go on before this? And this is where I think the whole graphic novel comic book would come in, is that you have these kind of prequel stories where these, this, this triplet of folks, uh, these, these three guys, these three amigos go out with their guitar cases full of crazy weapons. And are just pulling off different heists or whatever it is. Three Amigos is already taken. They've already made that movie. Three Amigos-esque. <laughs> with, with more It's a language. very different movie. Um, yeah. I think you might be thinking this way, and I actually love that you're thinking this way, but also, you're, you're not wrong. A, partially because you're reading the Snowpiercer graphic novels right now and realizing how well they tie into that film that we just had a discussion about a, a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And then B, because, think about it, movies like this, Wanted, Kick-Ass... Like, they came from comic books. Like, it's a natural storytelling medium for this type of, like, tale. 
yeah, I would I would at some point expect it to to make the turn, but who would write it? I don't know. Maybe maybe Tarantino would take on the reins. Like my buddy Rodriguez here, he he did the movie. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the comic book. There's a lot of surprises in this for me specifically. Uh, one being the fact that his his boys get get mowed down. Didn't expect that. But the biggest surprise for me came from the end of the movie. Uh, in the reveal that El, El Mariachi and, and, and Bucho are actually brothers. And that was kind of a, a wow. Oh, I, first of all, I'd forgotten that part of Desperado. And I remember the first time I'd seen it, I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Didn't expect to see that. Didn't see that coming. And wanted to ask, how did you guys respond to that? First time I watched it, I was very surprised. It was something that came out of left field. Like there was nothing in the film, there's nothing in the dialogue or nothing in each of these guys' stories to where you would like concede that, that oh, well, maybe they're related in some way. Maybe they have a connection. You know, in the beginning, you're thinking like, oh, this is just a, you know, it's like the standard tale. It's like this guy is going after a guy that who probably doesn't know he exists, but his collateral damage hurt this guy. So this guy's going to come and like let this guy know like, hey, like you don't know me, but what you did hurt, hurt me and my life, you know, but when it comes down to him being brothers, for me, I don't think it changes as much of the film's impact. Like with them, with them not being brothers, I don't think it changes anything for me. With them being brothers, it does add a drama aspect, and it is a nice little twist, especially for first-time viewers. Which hopefully they're not like listening to this right now. But for first-time viewers, it is a very nice twist. But for me, it didn't really do much for me. It's it's good for dramatic aspects, but. For me, it doesn't change anything of how I feel about the film. Yeah, you know, honestly, it's a what moment, like kind of a shocking and surprising. And I like it because it gives purpose to him killing Bucho after he's already made the decision to walk away from that and not do so. He does kill him, of course, because he's protecting Carolina. And I think it makes it more impactful when you realize he's killing his brother and it makes you understand why he might pause um, and not take that shot initially. But like you said, Coles, there's like zero foreshadowing for this whatsoever. There's no way to know it's coming. There just really isn't. And so it kind of comes out of left field in that regard. And it's like a, what? Wait a second. Like, you have to get your mind around it. And then uh, it happens so fast between finding out and it all being over that it's kind of just there and then gone. I do think that it in hindsight, adds a little bit of depth to the character of El Mariachi just because you realize why he's so upset about these drugs in this town. And I think you understand, like, why maybe he's on this mission of revenge so much. It's It's got to hurt more than it would even for a normal person if your brother is the one who is peppering the town with drugs and corrupting all of its citizens and also murdering your woman. And, and so the, I, I like it, but I also don't think that it was absolutely necessary. It does give it a little bit extra, though, for this story. And again, in this genre, you're not expecting something to be that surprising. At least I'm not, not usually. Yeah, and I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I would have had the reveal not happened and, you know, had it happened earlier, maybe in the 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 beginning of the third act or maybe the end of the second because to me it didn't give us enough time to really let that idea sink in because two minutes later we're at the end of the movie and i i know that rodriguez ran out of money and so we didn't get this big 
fight sequence, but I, I, as stylized and as cool as that would have been, I don't know that the emotional weight would have been there for me because I needed to have some time to process, oh my gosh, it's not just that he's trying to get revenge on the love of his life, but this is a family member. This is a brother. And so the wow factor was like, yeah, and then credits. And I, I just, I don't think that it was placed well enough. I felt like it was kind of shoehorned in there at the end to kind of add a little bit of pizzazz when it wasn't really needed. To me, I was already invested in the level of complexity that El Mariachi was giving me with his connection with Caroline and what was happening at getting rid of the bad drug lord, which, by the way, I cannot pronounce his name, and I apologize, but I love, love, love uh, uh, the, his, the guy. His name is Joaquim de Almeida. Or, and, or that's close enough. And I wrote this down too, because he is amazing. And he's in like three or four movies as a drug lord. Yes. In South American or Mexican. He's in Fast Five. He's Felix Cortez in Clear yes. and Present Danger. So he's right yes. in Fast Five. He's Felix Cortez in Clear and Present Danger. And then here, and he's basically the same character and he's amazing. I, I was, I thought the same thing. I was like, dude, this guy is incredible. And I looked him up because I was like, man, what else has he been in? And unfortunately, those are the three big ones. But he's so memorable in all three of those that he sticks out. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like he takes a, a character, he can, he takes a villain that could easily be generic if it was someone else playing it. But him, he adds so much personality and just sarcasm to the role that you can't help but laugh at him when he goes on his little temper tantrums at his cronies or whatnot when they fail a mission or something. He's it's very funny. I loved him. He's what so is charismatic. This, what is that phone number to my car? I was getting ready to mention that. Yeah, he's so charismatic. And like he feel, I don't know if he has a history in Mexican soap operas, but I wouldn't be surprised because he's got that studly quality to him as well, where you, he's like a heartthrob, but yet he's a mean sob down, you know, inside. And that that scene, Patrick, is absolutely like bar none one of the absolute funniest things in this movie. And he's just like he's the big boss, and he doesn't know any of the details. And he's like, "Somebody tell me my phone number!" And then he starts <laughs> killing people until they like somebody can tell him his phone number. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. And see, it's moments like that that remind us that we're in this overtly stylized Robert Rodriguez movie. That the moment that something feels serious, we kind of get brought out of it. And like, no, 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 no. I need to remind you of how awesome I am as a director. And as a filmmaker, because of this, and then we get into big action sequences. And we've said style about 50 times. I think that's the word of the night, which is appropriate. And I wanted to ask you guys, just because we need to talk about it, what were some of your big stylistic moments that stood out to you uh, in the movie? For me was the shootouts, just some of the moves that Banderas was putting on these guys. Like there was, there was one move where he shot by, he, put the gun behind his back and shot a guy that was coming up behind him then there's the other move where he's like he jumps off the building he has dual-wielded guns which is very hard to shoot with to be accurate he jumps off the building there's two guys underneath him he jumps off the building doesn't get hit at all it just takes out the guys that are right in front of him like you have to suspend disbelief in physics to like enjoy these moments but I enjoyed all of it. Like, there's nothing better than a film that knows how to have fun and is not really worried about trying to be serious all the time. Because, yes, serious films like the Michael Mann action films, yes, we do need those. But these films right here, they're just great joy. They're just a great joy to just watch and just, like, be entertained and try to reenact the moves. Especially if your kid just reenacting the moves, jumping off the bed and everything, which is what I used to do. So... <laughs> I'm imagining that right now, and I wish I could see it. I need you to videotape this. We Get your girlfriend with the phone out. 
we want to watch Kales with a couple of uh, Nerf pistols jumping off backwards. Slow-mo, slow-mo. You need to wear a wig, though, because I need yeah. you to have some flowing black locks, like, coming down, like, flying it, around it, in the can air. Can a gun come out of your head? Can it, can oh, it come man. Like that? Yes, yes. I'll, I'll try to get her to get, like, a Saturday Night Special to smuggle into my head, and then, like, it comes up. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, dude, there's so many, so many amazing scenes in this film. I, the jokes for me that stuck out big time, we talked about one of them with him in the phone. There's a moment where this group of four or five white people step to the bloody bar door and he, he just walks up to him. It's, can't you see that we are effing clothes? Like, that's all that you hear him say. And then they just, like, freak out and, like, run away, you know, like, right after the shootout. Brilliant, brilliant comedic timing that I was mentioning earlier. The Quentin Tarantino cameo in this movie is legendary. I mean, it is phenomenal. The pickup guy, he comes in, and he's telling this bar joke about pissing all over the place. And the way he tells it, it's just the physicality in this performance where he's like, He's, I can't, I'm, I'm try, I don't want to do this because I'm going to start bumping the mic. But like, you guys know what I'm saying. Like, if you've watched the movie recently, he's pretending to be pissing. And the way that Cheech is watching him, the bartenders look on his face. Like, they're just like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you're really doing this? And it's so much banter. And it's so hilarious. And it, and it feels like a stage play anytime that you have these bar dialogue scenes. And it, play, it pays off brilliantly, of course. Um, with the way that the Tarantino joke kind of pays off, he and this guy next to him, and the guy next to him gets, you know, shot in the face. And he's like, he didn't check out. <laughs> and Tarantino's like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, okay, I checked out though. Um, and then from a shootout standpoint, obviously the end is epic with the big gun cases of, you know, rockets going through the air and machine guns getting reloaded and all of that good stuff. Uh, but I love it when, He's in the bar shootout and he has the one guy, the guys have him dead to rights. Like they surround him and you're like, man, they got him. And he just says, not yet. And bam, like these guns come out of his sleeves and he just takes out dozens of guys. And it's, it's very reminiscent of what we end up seeing later in movies like John Wick. There are a number of different moments that I think surprise me. I think surprisingly quick deaths, Tarantino's and his, partner that he just met like a couple of minutes ago, you know, at the bar was one of them. Um, I think when you have these, even the, even the atmosphere, the movie opens up with Bushimi walking into a bar, which sounds like a joke. Um, and he's telling the story and we're getting this really great introduction into Banderas's character. And I'm thinking, Oh, we're in like kind of an old school Western. And then we see a cell phone pop out. And we're like, oh, okay, so I guess it's a modern day, a modern day Western of some kind. And one of the things that stood out to me, and this is a small thing, but it's when these three girls are, they approach the bar and they're like, um, the one girl's just tapping her nails on the bar and she looks at them like, what? And she's like, um, our waiter hasn't come back. And it's like, these are these little tourists, these tourist girls. I was almost waiting. For them to say, I'm going to leave you a bad review on you know, what the equivalent of Facebook would have been back in 1995. Because that's kind of where I expected it to go. And I also half expected them to just shoot the girls, too. Like, Because why not, right? And they were almost about to. But I think that what we get in those surprises is either done for humor 
It's done for terseness. It's done with purpose. And I think that Rodriguez has this great kind of conglomeration of being able to give us those surprises and give us that balance of humor and drama without deterring from one another with that stylistic approach. Yeah, and we also have a machete appearance, even though he's not really machete in this movie yet. Um, Danny Trejo, who is a longtime Robert Rodriguez collaborator, and of course he's machete in a bunch of Robert Rodriguez's films. He, he plays a character named Navajas here, but um, to your point about cool weaponry, Coles, like, you know, this guy is just throwing knives, and I love watching him go around just whacking people. Especially my favorite one is probably when he jumps up on top of the limo and just like whack, 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 whack right down through the sunroof and like kills like four or five guys with him. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I think guys, we're forgetting like probably the most coolest moment of the whole film when um Banderas and two of his friends are just waiting for the two limos to come down to the um to the area where they're at. And then like the camera just goes in for a fast zoom towards Banderas' character and then he cracks his neck and he's like, let's play. Like, oh man. That scene is just, that scene always gets me every time, every time. Like, I was just, like, telling my girlfriend, like, watch this, watch this. And then the scene comes on, she's like, <laughs> okay. Like, she doesn't see what I see, but it was spectacular to be spectacular. <laughs> Rodriguez loves moments, man. He loves moments. And there are a lot of them in there. Well, I think there are at least three other moments that we could talk about as we move into our connecting point. So, Aaron, do you want to kick us off with yours? Sure, I'll be happy to. Um, I almost chose him teaching the little boy how to play guitar on the side of the street. I thought that was an adorable, just really important moment for the film because it's such a fast-paced action movie for the most of it that it, it was sweet and it showed that his passion for playing and it like let us think of him as more than just a killer um, and also a teacher and all of these things. So I, I love that moment. But for me, it ultimately was... Carolina giving him a new guitar and this scene happens she gives it to him they're sitting on the bed and I love the framing of this moment where we are looking at them together and the guitar is between them his arm has been injured and so she is helping him play she asks him to play actually and he says he can't and so she she helps him she starts moving the chords while he strums and it's a really awesome way for this to go down because while they're having this very sweet tender moment experiencing something that's important to him together she suggests that he leaves the guns behind and move on with her and it's really sexy it's really sweet at the same time and you really get the sense that he wants to resist being with her she's she's kind of showing him that she's interested and you can see it all over his face. It's a great performance because he's struggling with this idea of like he's on this revenge mission because his wife was killed. And we see this a lot in movies where you're holding on to that feeling about the woman that you're murdering for who's no longer here. But now you have this new woman and it's almost like a conflict of interests in a way. Kind of, I think, messes with your headspace and we see that. And then he starts to let go of that. He sees what's in front of him, starts to kiss her. At that point, this scene transitions from something that's so sweet and, and caring into like one of the sweetest slash silliest love scenes in the 90s. Like it is so hot on certain frames. And then it is so like, why is there so much up close licking of elbows in this movie? Like, there is weirdness going on. 
And it, it's just, it is, it's awkward. It is like, it's not, it's like Rodriguez didn't want to go full on erotic in this moment for some reason, but it is erotic, but then it like goes into wacky like portrayal. And so it's got this elevator music going on during it and it is really, really cool. And, and then, you know, to top it all off, it ends by cutting to Bucho having sex and he's not even paying attention to the girl that's on top of him. She's completely clothed and he doesn't care about her at all. He treats her like trash. And I think it gives us a wonderful dichotomy of those two men in that moment and their ability to treat people around them, um, what they are like and how they interact with women really cements your desire to see El Mariachi get away with Carolina and have this life that was taken away from him previously. My connected point was the Tarasco bar shootout. Um, the moment for me felt like, well, this is what the this is what Steven Jimmy's first story was building up to. If not exactly, this is what we came to see. We came to see this guy in action and see what the legend was all about. And I just loved the way that Rodriguez directed the scene, like from the close-ups to the use of slow motion to the different action choreography, especially when Banderas gets on top of the bar and just starts going off on all the enemies around him. Like, it's kind of video game-ish in a way. Like, you kind of feel like this man's invincible and that he's just going to find his way to fight it out and make it out of this bar. But it's nevertheless still entertaining and stunning to see some of the moves he pulls off. Like, some of it is ridiculous. Like, the one time where a guy jumps down, he kicks him, he goes, like, so far up in the air. It's like he has, like, like he his his legs have steroids in them. He can kick guys really far, like, that point. But it's still, nonetheless, just awesome still to see. And then you have that moment to where, like, him and the guy are, like, fighting to see which weapon has a bullet. And they're both, like, picking it up, shooting at each other, and none of the bullets come out. So then you have a kind of a little hilarious moment to kind of die down the tension. And then you see him leaving and you get this awesome little slow motion of him walking down the street. And then you have one of Bucho's cronies coming after him with two guns. And then you see Selma Hayek and it's like, you're wondering like, oh my God, like, is she going to get shot? Like, what's going to happen? How's he going to get out of this? It's, it's great filmmaking all around. And, and I think that's just the best action sequences by itself of the whole film. Like, of course, the, the endings shootout is really great, but this scene is just really, this is what most people remember from this film is that scene. Yeah, one of the guys on staff of this, Don Shanahan, he mentioned that, well, I think you mentioned it, Coles, that it, it's a dance, that a lot of the choreography in this movie is all about the dance and about being able to time things pretty perfectly. And I think Don mentioned in his comment back to you that that idea of being able to reload in that rhythm and, and I think this shootout really epitomizes the the climax of what Rodriguez does here. I like the last fight sequence for different reasons. I think it's a little bit cleaner. I think there's a lot because there's a lot less people involved and it's a, it's not as an enclosed area, but I think the Tarasco bar shootout represents how a filmmaker can use the space in creative ways. I especially love the those moments when Mariachi and I guess the not the barkeep, but whoever it is are grabbing the empty weapons and they just keep shooting. They try to shoot each other and it just doesn't work. Yet another joke that Rodriguez throws in for physical comedy um, that we don't get to see a lot in, in, in other movies like that. You know, for me, when there's loud action, there have to be quiet moments to help balance that out. And if the award for hottest in the movie 
goes to Mariachi and Caroline as the couple, then I would say favorite couple for me is going to be Mariachi and Bushimi. I absolutely love their chemistry. And it's not, there's not a lot. There are, I think, three scenes where they're together. There's the scene where uh, Bushimi comes back after telling the legendary story and he gives Mariachi kind of the update of where Bucho is. And then there's the confession scene shortly thereafter, just before Bushimi gets, gets whacked. And I think both of those scenes for me really allow for a sense of understanding their relationship. Because early on, I can't remember the line specifically, but Bashimi says to him while he's in his little hotel room, he says, so after this, it's done, right? You're done with this revenge stuff. It's almost as if he's trying to say, look, we've been at this for a long time. And he actually says, I'm tired. I've grown. This stuff is just starting to wear me out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sick of it myself. But the, the confession scene later on, where he goes to talk to him, Bushimi is probably one of the few people that we see that can stand up to him and make him feel less like a vigilante and more like a human being. And I love that. I love the fact that Bushimi is able to essentially talk down to him and say, you're wrong. You, you told me that this wouldn't be the case. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And so his death, while I don't think I would ever feel like I could cry at Bushimi getting killed off in anything because he's just kind of that weird character actor. I got a little sad at seeing that because those moments gave me investment into him and the way in which Mariachi cared for him in a brotherly way. I don't think it was, I wanted more, but I'm glad I didn't get more because there was a lot more, a lot more happening that we needed to be more invested in, particularly with Mariachi. But I think I think their relationship was the one that stood out to me, and those two scenes in particular really helped elevate how important Buscemi was to Mariachi. Yeah, it is a it is a fantastic relationship, and Buscemi in general. This just reminds you how much of a force he was in the '90s with Armageddon and Reservoir Dogs and all of his other work with Tarantino, of course, um, including Reservoir Dogs. But he just he was great. Um, and he is always memorable in the movies and the TV shows that he's in. He's unforgettable, not just because of his look, but his voice uh, and the way in which he typically portrays his characters. You can't forget him. He's so, so good. And yeah, I loved how he plays off of the uber sexy, hardcore, charismatic, you know, beautiful Antonio Banderas. It's a, it's a great contrast. It's a great contrast. Well, that does it for this episode, but we definitely got a little bit more for you in store this week. Aaron, why don't you tell our listeners what they've won? Well, first of all, they can win the opportunity to contribute to this month's donor pick poll by visiting patreon.com slash feelinfilm and becoming a supporter. You get one vote per $1, and at $2 a month, you will also get access to all of our monthly bonus content. This month, we are choosing a baseball movie between The Sandlot, Bull Durham, A League of Their Own, For Love of the Game, and Major League. Voting is going to end on May the 10th, so you have time, but get joined up soon, because it will be here before you know it. Our bonus content for May is actually going to be a moderated Q&A, where Patrick and I answer listener questions. We will be accepting questions from our patrons and also in a thread later this month in our Facebook group that we always like to point you toward. 
Now, when Patrick mentioned winning, here is something you actually can win without paying. We are huge fans of the Letterbox website where you can create profile and log and review movies you've watched while engaging with other film lovers. They have an amazing app for Android and iOS, and it's really just a wonderful community to be a part of. We have partnered with Letterboxd to give away a free pro subscription or a free renewal if you already are a pro user. If you're a patron level person, which is their highest you are chosen and you are chosen as a winner, then you'll get a six month renewal instead of a year. Um, we'll be choosing one random winner this month from all of those who submit questions for our Q&A. So in other words, become a supporter and or join the Facebook group now so that you can submit questions and be a part of that contest. Lastly, what's coming this week? Well, we had a wonderful review on iTunes that asked us to continue reviewing Game of Thrones Season 8 after we covered the last episode, and so we are going to oblige. Myself, Aaron, and Jeremy will be dropping an episode on Season 8, Episode 4. Still don't know the freaking title. I've already watched the episode, and they haven't released the title. That is just weird. But we're going to be dropping that on May the 8th, so keep an eye out for that one. Patch is actually traveling this week, so we aren't going to be able to have him join us for our normal FF Plus episode. But Aaron is going to join me, and we will have an episode for you during the week in which we review Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Tolkien, and possibly more, but not 100% sure yet what that might be. Also of note is that the Seattle International Film Festival kicks off on May the 16th, and Coles and myself have already been diving into the 400-plus films available to bring Seattle residents our recommendations. So you can check our website under the tab labeled Festival Coverage, and or you can follow us on social media to get updates and check out anytime we post new entries to that. Lastly, lastly, next week we will be celebrating another holiday when Pat and I will talk one of our favorite films from 2017, Lady Bird, in honor of Mother's Day. Lots going on, listeners, so be sure to keep your podcatchers open for all that great new content coming out in the next seven days. Lots going on. Well, Kales, thank you for being on the show. We love having you a part of the conversation, and I guess we'll talk soon, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.